you guys, it's it's finally happening. The Wheel of Time has come. It's almost time to actually premiere it. Um, welcome back to Behind the Timeline. I am your host, Lindsay, and my co-host today is not Scott. Today we have Ben. It's just Ben and I today. Hello, hello. So we're super grateful that Ben's hopping on because today we're going to talk about the Wheel of Time. We're doing the Wheel of Time primer. So this is everything that you need to know to get ready for the show dropping on the 19th. So the first three episodes will be out next week. I'm out of my damn mind. I can think of absolutely nothing else. So I'm really excited to do this episode. And Ben has read the first book and a little bit of the second one, right? Yeah, I'm three chapters into the second book now as of last night. Yes. That's so exciting. So Scott, who we can shit on a little because I don't think he's going to listen to this. Um, Scott has not um, read them yet and wants to go into the show completely blind, which I totally support. And Ben, you're going to come on for our reviews for a bunch of this, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I get I get wanting to go into something blind, too. I do, too. And and so to that point for listeners, if you guys want to go into this knowing absolutely nothing about the Wheel of Time, then please check it out next Friday on the 19th and come back and check us out on the 20th because by that sort of late afternoon on the 20th, we're going to have reviews out for all three episodes. So if that is your preference, respect, and we will see you on the 20th. Um, but otherwise, this episode is going to be spoiler-free for the the events of the books and of the show. But what we are going to talk about is the history of the world of the Wheel of Time and some of the constructs and the magic system and some of the, um, like, how do the Aes Sedai work and what are the leadership structures within the the magic groups and things like that. We're going to talk about some of that stuff. So if you want to go into this totally blind, this is probably not the episode for you. And we'll see you next week. But otherwise, this is everything that you need to know going into it. Or if you've read the books but not in a long time, this is a good refresher for the setup. So let's dive right in and talk metaphysics. So, um, Ben, how much of this stuff do you feel like you were picking up on just from a first read on the eye of the world in terms of like the creator, the dark one, the pattern, how reincarnation works in this? Do you feel like you picked that up on one read? Because I feel like I didn't my first read. I definitely, I will say, did not pick up much on the creator, especially because I, I think they did a great job of like when you look at it in hindsight it's like they they you really when you look at it in retrospect it's like yeah they're they're talking there's all references to the light and you know the light illumine you or bless you but they never specifically talk about like anything religious it, it just kind of seemed like the first time i read through it it was it is it is what it is, really, is what it felt like. Right. There really aren't religious groups in the Wheel of Time like that worship the creator. There's There are the White Cloaks, who we've all seen in the trailer, and we'll see more about kind of what their whole shtick is when we get into the show. But yeah, they the characters will refer a lot to the light, and that's kind of what they'll say, like, oh, light, instead of, oh, my God. So the way this universe works and the way it's been set up is there is the creator and there's the dark one and there's the pattern. And those are kind of our three basic things we're going to talk about for like a metaphysical standpoint. So the creator did create the world 
and the wheel of time, which weaves the pattern of reality. And that's the most important, like basic thing for people to understand about this is that reality is described as being a weave, a pattern, and it's coming from like a spinning wheel, like a la Sleeping Beauty, right? And the creator created the wheel that weaves the pattern, and that's the wheel of time. And he is not a fan of intervening, the creator. Like, we're going to see a lot more of the dark one having an impact on the world and the story than we will the creator. And I can't wait for all this to be over and for you to finish the book, Spence, so that we can talk about if and when the creator ever does intervene, because there's questions about that. There are moments that it's like, was that the creator? And we don't really know. Um, and then we have reincarnation. And you said you super didn't pick up on this, right, in your first read? Yeah, no, I did not pick up on the reincarnation at all like I just maybe it's just my assumption with fantasy and my experiences with it and you know books movies tv shows what have you but I thought the whole thing was just you know your standard prophecy fair I didn't really think that we were going for stuff like that yeah and we super super are which is very cool. And I think a lot of the stuff, something that I'm noticing from the trailers that I think is fascinating is that some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, like the Ajahs and the Aes Sedai, how that structure works, or reincarnation, are things that the books take a little while to fully explain. Um, sometimes we call it an eye of the worldism, where Robert Jordan just didn't quite have it totally figured out in book one. Um, but the show is... By the admission of Rafe Judkins, who's the showrunner and a huge fan, and also just based on the trailers, we can really see that a lot of that is going to be explained in like episode one. So where some things may bend to you feel a little bit like, why haven't I heard this before? Is this a spoiler? Which is something that you said to me when you first saw the notes, right? Um, the show is going to tell us right away. They're going to do all this world building right away. So we're going to talk about it today. Um so there is reincarnation for sure. And the way that it works in the Wheel of Time is that there are certain figures who are kind of all the way reincarnated, like the Dragon Reborn, which it, we're going to talk about a little bit more later and which has been mentioned in the trailers. And we're not going to spoil who that is. But the Dragon Reborn is someone who's going to be like fully reincarnated um, to the point that he might have some memories Right. Well, like that see, person. It'll be great that the show actually explains that at the beginning because yeah. the book does do a good job of beating you over the head about, you know, the dragon reborn and it's something, you know, to potentially be afraid of. But I literally just thought it was like it's it was a figure of speech or like a title for someone that's just like super strong when they tap into the one power. Right. And no, it is for real Luz Theron reborn. And we're going to talk a lot more about Luz Theron. But the, but the way that reincarnation works for the most part is just that you can trust that you will be reincarnated and you won't know that you've been reincarnated. You won't have your memories. You won't be in the same body, but you can trust that that's something that's going to happen to you. So when, for instance, characters in the Wheel of Time swear an oath, um, it's usually like, instead of saying like, I swear to God, like we might say or something, it'll be, you know, by my hope of reincarnation and salvation. So they'll talk like characters know that this is a thing. It's not a question mark. Um, 
the creator is a thing, it's not a question mark. And the dark one is a thing, also not a question mark. So the dark one and the creator, it is kind of a God and the devil situation, but they're really like metaphysical forces. They're not like, it doesn't have like a Christian style pathos to it. Um, And one thing I think they make super clear, and you tell me, Ben, but I think they make that super clear in the first book, that the dark one was sealed away at the time of creation by the creator. Yeah, I think, remember even a few characters, doesn't Maureen say that, right? She, they, like the, the Aes Sedai, I think they even specifically say, like, the dark one was sealed away at the time of creation. Yeah, they say it over and over again, and we're going to talk in just a minute about how that status quo changed before the start of our story. But the dark one was sealed away, cannot touch the world, which means the world was like a pretty solid place. Like a lot of sort of negative human traits, you know, jealousy and anger and all these things are really like muted. Like there was basically no war, for instance, while the dark one was sealed away. Um, and his goal essentially is to break free and destroy the pattern entirely. So he wants to, to destroy the fabric of reality such that there is no more turning of the wheel. There's no more reincarnation. There's no more pattern. There are no more seven ages coming and turning, which we're going to talk about now. So that's kind of the dark one's plan. Um, and then the last thing on this like metaphysical stuff is the pattern itself. So it's a weave. It's like, it's like a big loom weaving a big blanket right? And all the threads of the pattern are individual people and things that are happening and they can be moved and manipulated in certain ways. And part of that pattern is Sidar and Sidine, which are the two sides of magic. So you can, certain people who are channelers can touch magic. And you have Sidar, which is the female side of the source, basically, that only women can access. And you have Sidine, which is the male side. And we're going to talk in depth about what happens with those in just a second. Well, one question I did have for you about that, and if it's spoilery, just tell me no, not answering okay. it right now. Is this like a Star Wars situation where, you know, there's the potential for anyone to channel or is it literally you have to like be born into it? So you have to have the ability and some people are born with the ability such that they will channel no matter what, they're going to figure out how to do it by just because of their, their genes and who they are. We don't even necessarily know that it's genetic, right? Like it probably is, but because the I said, I don't tend to marry, it's kind of hard to say. Um, but there are other people who have the ability and they might not channel unless someone finds them, tests them, finds out they're able to learn. So there's a difference between being able to learn and no matter what, this is going to happen to you. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay, yeah, that does. And that's when the Aes Sedai refer to wilders. They're referring to women who had the ability, like they were always going to do it no matter what, and were doing it before the Aes Sedai found them. So they were learning on their own, and they weren't under the Aes Sedai thumb of how to learn and how to do it the right way, in the Aes Sedai way, right? So the Aes Sedai are kind of assholes, to be honest. Yeah, they seem like they could be, but at the same time, I can get it. I mean, if the if the one power is really, if it really can be that dangerous, I mean, 
not at all unbelievable that there'd be a sect of people that want to keep it under control. Highly controlled. And the what happens in the Age of Legends is why they're going to control it so hard. And briefly before we jump into that, um, so we've got the creator, we've got the dark one, we've got what the pattern is. Within the pattern, we also have the multiverse. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. And that I do not think is made clear in book one. And it's made exceptionally clear in book two. Um, but the multiverse is a thing that exists. And we're not going to spend a ton of time with it, like in the series or in, at all, like in the books, but it is there. And so there are infinite possibilities and worlds and ways that things could happen within the pattern. And they'll talk about it a lot, even though we're not exactly going to Loki style travel the multiverse. It's absolutely there. Um, and then the last thing on the pattern is the concept of Taviran. And we'll see this in the show for sure right away. But there are some individuals in the world who are called Taviran, who the pattern will wrap itself around them. So crazy shit will happen when you're around someone who's Taviran because the the fabric of reality and the creator and like fatalism to an extent is pushing things to happen in a certain way around Taviran. Well, all I know is when they start mentioning this in the show, that means Loyal's not far behind. <laughs> That's the best observation I've ever heard in my life. That's correct. Seriously, one of my favorite characters from the first book. <laughs> you could just hear his big ogier voice just Taviran. And he's I got it. I wish Scott was here to do the voice. Scott you'll do the loyal voice in a few weeks. Um, and so the way that the way that reality and time works in the wheel of time, the super important thing to understand, maybe the most important thing to understand is that just as people can be reincarnated, time itself operates in a circular fashion. So the way that they describe it in the book is the wheel of time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. So we're always operating on this wheel. Everything that has happened has already happened and will happen again. And so the real world, the world that we live in right now, is the Wheel of Time's first age. There are seven ages. They're described as the seven spokes on the Wheel of Time. So if we can picture that, we have an, I have an image of it in our notes. Um, but the spokes on a spinning wheel are each of the ages. So our real world is the first age. The age of legends that we're about to talk to is talk about is the second age. Our story takes place in the third age. So what we're going to see in the show. Um, the fourth age is the age immediately after our story. Um, very similar to Tolkien, the, the, they are in the third age and it will end with the end of the series. I, I don't think that's a massive spoiler. It's kind of a fantasy trope. Um, so after that, after the story ends, the fourth age begins. Five, six, and seven are a total mystery. But ultimately, the wheel has to turn around to when the first age comes again and magic is lost because we don't have it right now. So there are times where channeling and magic is something people are aware of and there are times where it's not. Um, in the Age of Legends, people were super aware of it. So we can all cross our fingers and hope to come out of the first age soon. But Ben, I want to know if you caught any of these references in the first book where they talk about things from the first age. Did you catch any of these, some, some stuff from our real world and the way that the myth has been translated now into their third age? No, this was all news to me when I saw the notes. <laughs> this is like the coolest stuff. And I don't know if they're going to do it in the show. I really hope so. But they were far... No, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't in the notes that I saw this first. It was actually in that that trailer drop string that we were watching. 
and oh people yeah started talking about like post-apocalyptic stuff and i was like wait what if i just if i completely missed something super obvious here then no like after that and seeing the notes i spent a little time today like going through some uh some of the references um the, like uh tom is talking about with them in the first book and like that makes so much more sense now right yeah so we have uh things that get referenced in the in like the first couple chapters of the first book they talk about these myths and legends right these are like bedtime stories you know and so they talk about elspeth the queen of all which is an obvious reference to queen elizabeth um did you get this one materice the healer no i did not get that one either <laughs> um that one is mother teresa ma Therese, right see how it like like changes over time which i love the one that like stuck out in my mind um, like and now it makes so much more sense like in retrospect is the story that um uh Egwene asks Tom to tell her about uh Len flying around uh you know the planet and around to the moon in a, the belly of an eagle made of fire it's supposed to be John Glenn but then like they're yeah they're talking about Sally Ride too and like, it's just cool to think that, you know, this, 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 the legends, like, they, how they morph and change over time, and they become the tales of Gleeman to, you know, mm -hmm. regale people with an inns. Exactly. And, and that it's all happened before, it will all happen again. They also talk about um, Mosque and Merc. And the great war of Mosk and Merc and the great fire in the sky. And it's it's um, wars between, it's the Cold War. It's, it's America and Moscow. It's Russia. Yeah, Mosk with its lances of fire that can go around the world. Thank you. That's what it is. Yeah, it's the, and it's the Cold War. One of my favorites that um, you haven't gotten to, and I don't think this is a spoiler, but it's in like the fourth book. And some of our characters are in a city they haven't been in before. And they find... Um, they're looking for something. And one of the things that they see along the way is described as a silvery thing in another cabinet, like a three-pointed star inside a circle was made of no substance she knew. It was softer than metal, scratched and gorged, yet even older than any of the ancient bones. From 10 paces, she could sense pride and vanity. And it's it's the Mercedes emblem, which is so cool. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think like... Now that I know that, it just made me appreciate the series so much more. I have, like, a soft spot for not just, like, books, but, like, video games or movies like this where it's literally just, like, our time came to an end and either our stories or our ruins, you know, what have you, are being discovered or explored or what have you by a future civilization. Yeah. And what of our legends and myths might be from this time, right? That are coming from our future, really. I love that concept that just time is circular, right? The wheel of time and the loom and the, you know, the Didn't, pattern. Yeah, and... Wasn't that like a quote from Robert Jordan that he's like, he envisions time as a wheel that you can look down both ways? Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. So you can go front, front ways or back, you know, forwards or back in time, and you'll always come back to the same place. And the really big question that's put forward in the Wheel of Time and in like in the Third Age and in all the shit with the Dragon Reborn and the story we're about to be treated to, I'm so excited, um, is how much of this is predetermined? Can you break the wheel, right? To quote Daenerys. Um, because that's kind of what the Dark One wants to do. He wants to end the Wheel of Time. He wants to stop this circular motion. He wants to destroy the pattern and stop it in its tracks. And since we know this has happened over and over and over again, time continues to, to circle. We also know there's a multiverse where there's a million different versions of everything happening. Can he do this? Is this a reasonable goal? And, and if he did, holy shit, right? So the stakes are super high. Like that's basically what this story is, is the Dark One wants to break free from his prison and end the turning of the wheel. Um, so that's kind of my hook for like why you should watch the show. Like it's dope. It's there's a lot of there's the stakes are super, super high. Um, and super tangible because people know for a fact that reincarnation exists. They know that the wheel of time turns. None of this is a question for any character. There's no like, um, is it true or not religious question like we have in our world, right? This is just true. This just is demonstrably true excited one week <laughs> one week so let's jump into the age of legends here this is like the real meat of the history the book opens with a prologue that's taking place in the age of legends with Luz theron telamon Luz theron kinslayer who is the dragon reborn in the age of legends this is the second age so this is the age after our current real world and the age before where our story is taking place um and there's an awful lot of fallout at the end of the Age of Legends. So this is a super cool, this is where Ben's talking about a this being like an apocalyptic situation. The end of the Age of Legends is basically an apocalypse. Um, so, but at the beginning of it, <laughs> um, there are lots of channelers around. Everyone knows how to use magic like super, super well. And it's paired with technology, which makes sense if we talk about the way the wheel's turning. We're coming from the end of our current age. Like imagine if 200 years from now, let's assume we haven't destroyed the earth with global warming. Um, let's assume that things continue to like, things are improving and technology is improving and all of a sudden we discover magic that like society is thriving. Things are going really, really well. And the dark one is sealed up in his prison still. So there's not a lot of like, there's no war, right? It's just like this utopia of magic and technology coming together. So we have Sidene and Sidar. Everyone's using it. Everybody's doing great. Two halves of the power. Um, one for men, one for women. How we will handle this in the show with regard to transgender stuff is a question mark that I do think they're going to address. Um, the Wheel of Time in the books for when it was written in the early 90s is actually super woke for its time. But this is an issue it does not address. So know that when we talk about this, we are going to talk about gender in a pretty binary way. But I'm curious to see how that changes in the show. I think it will. Um. Basically, men and women are equally powerful. Men generally can channel, meaning they're accessing the one power more strongly than women. They usually have stronger magic. However, that's not always the case. Um, for instance, like 
men are usually stronger than women in this world, but Ben, I know there's some girls out there who could kick your ass. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So it works exactly like that, like in the real world, right? Like there's dudes who I could definitely best like it, but generally speaking, men are more powerful in channeling the one power, but women can form a circle, which means they can connect and combine their powers and amplify them. And men cannot do this with men alone. However, men and women together are able to form circles that are more powerful than women alone. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like you, like you wrote in the notes, like it's all about balancing the two halves. Yeah. Working together is super crucial. The one power is always most powerful when men and women work together. And that's super important to remember. The symbol of the Aes Sedai, and they were even in the Second Age, in the Age of Legends called Aes Sedai, looks like a yin-yang, but without the two dots on either side. They describe it as the Flame of Tarvalin, which is where the Aes Sedai operate in the current timeline in the Third Age. Tarvalin didn't exist in the Second Age. Um, but it looks like it's the side of the yin-yang with the pointy side up, so it looks like a flame. And then the other side is the dragon's fang with the pointy side down. Um, I literally did not realize that was a dragon's fang. <laughs> I thought it looked like yeah. a feather. In the picture that I have in the notes, it does look a little bit like a feather, but you can kind of see it. Yeah, like, I can. I can see it now. But like, I <laughs> it's like you're talking about a dragon's fang, but that looks like a feather to me. But now, now that you've explained it, okay, I see it now. Yeah, and in our current age, in the third age, when men channeling is like a big no-no, which we'll talk about why, um, the dragon's fang is like an evil symbol, whereas the flame of Tarvalid is like a positive one. But this yin-yang symbol is considered the ancient symbol of the Aes Sedai. That's how it gets referred to in the books proper, because for reasons we're going to discuss in just a moment, um, they don't, men and women don't play together anymore. See, but this is already <laughs> connecting so many dots for me. I Good never I put it together that, that that was the dragon's fang they were talking about. Yeah, because you do see the, uh, no spoilers for everybody, but you do see the ancient symbol of the Aes Sedai in the first book. And it's like hard to put all of this together. This is stuff that it takes a little while, but I know the show is going to throw it up front just based on the trailer. Um, so using the source, and I will back up to the more fun description, discussion before that in the notes, Ben, because I do want to hit on that, but using the source. So this is going to look a lot to people or sound a lot like The Last Airbender. It is not. Um, however, when people use the source, you are channeling, it's called channeling or channelers. We're channeling the one power through the pattern from the wheel of time from the creator. And you're channeling the elements. So you're channeling air, water, fire, earth, and spirit. But this is not the last airbender. Channeling is not bending. It's weaving. You're combining these powers. And you can really think of it as like when they talk about it in the books, it's like, okay, I weaved in some air with my water and spirit. And I weaved it like this. And I weaved a pattern. So it's like a mini pattern that they weave and they create something and you can do basically anything with the one power with the right weave. You just have to know the weave. You have to know how to do it. It's kind of like knitting. You have to know your stitch using all these different powers. Um, you almost never use just one of the powers. And um, men are generally better with fire and earth, women with water and air. 
they all use all of them. None of this is exclusive. Nobody's like a water bender, like I channel water. You all channel everything. Um, but some people are stronger than others with certain elements. Um, when it comes to accessing the source, I want to know if you've noticed this, Ben, uh, how much touch, it's called touching the source. They might change that. Um, how much this is an analogy for achieving orgasm for either sex. I never actually put that, like made the the connection there. I just thought it was, I don't know, like how you would say like you're outside of like Moraine and like her channeling. It's like anyone else doing it, it seems like they're like, it's, I guess now it makes sense because it's their first time. But <laughs> yeah, like I was always thinking of it more as like, you know, a scared little kid, like afraid to touch fire or something. But <laughs> even that just, can yeah. fit too. It's for sure orgasm. And the way that it's described, it's described as very different for men and women. Um, they make it really clear that men and women cannot like understand or teach one another how to channel. Like they, they say it like teaching, a, like having a bird try to teach a fish how to swim. You just can't do it. Um, and when they talk about women grasping the source, touching the source, whatever they want to call it, they are so going to change this suggestive language in the show. But for women, I mean, at least they don't outright go and say men are stroking the source. Oh yeah. Men have to seize it. Men have to like, it's, oh my God. But women have to surrender. They talk about this all the time that for the, I said, I teach women to channel by telling them, it's like a river and you have to surrender to the river while kind of like controlling yourself in it. So it's like if you're floating, like you're the banks of the river, kind of. They, It's all about surrendering to the flow and letting it take you and, and then you can gain control over it. And it's very, like, really suggestive. Um, I mean, when you put it like that, it's not at all subtle. <laughs> Not at all. Like they call it surrendering to the source all the time. For men, it's you have to control the source. You have to grab the source. You have to prevent it from taking you over. Like women, it's like they kind of struggle to get there and they have to just sort of let it take them. But men, it's like you have to hold it back or it'll destroy you. <laughs> it's like so obvious. Um. So that's how it's, I love that, that it's just, it's, it's very, very gendered, the Wheel of Time. Um, everything about the Wheel of Time also tries to like flip gender stuff, which we'll talk about, right? Like women are totally in control in this society, but everything's super gendered. And and for sure, they, they talk about like being addicted to channeling, not wanting to let it go, um, being sad not to be holding it or touching it. Like it's, it's very... There's a lot in here around addiction and, and sex when it comes to accessing the one power. And it's like, like we're, you know, we're just, we're fully going down that rabbit hole. It sounds like a hundred percent. And I hope they, I hope they go there in the show. I really do. Like it's cause it's gonna, the show's going to be like more overtly dirty than the books. The books, books are dirty if you're paying attention, but Jordan doesn't throw it in your face. Not where you are in it yet. Not in the first book, but later on, you know, these guys fuck. Um, and it's it's funny how you could like one of the major characters virginity I missed it my first reading and it's like not subtle and yet 
it's so subtle that I missed it. I missed one of the main characters' virginity. <laughs> it's insane. I had to go back. Wait, is it a spoiler? Um, no, I can say who it is. I missed Rand's virginity. I won't say who with, but I don't think Rand's going to be a virgin in the show when we hop in. It seems clear to me Rand and Egwene are fucking from the trailer. So, I mean, they're naked in one of the scenes, but but in the books, uh, I missed his virginity in like book three or four, four, I think. Oh, so they haven't talked about it where I'm at yet then? No, but, you haven't yeah. been there yet. So I was like, <laughs> did I miss something? No, they're all still virgins in book one. For sure, not in, I feel like episode one, nobody's a virgin. I feel like they're aging them up, which is great. But in book one, um, or just depruding, I, I don't know. But they're all virgins in the beginning of the book, but not. Yeah. I don't think in the show. Except maybe Matt. Like, you never know. Matt might not be a virgin. It's hard to say. They definitely did, I think, look older in the show than I pictured them being. But maybe that's just me not picking up on did they ever talk about their ages like specifically in the book like i thought they were like maybe late teens early 20s give or take but yeah so nynaeve is the oldest she's like 21 or 22 she's the wisdom none of this is spoilers this is all just basic who the characters are in the beginning um so she's like the healer. She's super respected leader, but she's only like 21 or 22. So she has like a whole issue. She's like the youngest wisdom in forever. Um, and then Egwene is the youngest. And she, I want to say, is like 17 in the first book. And then like Rand, Perrin, and Matt are all 18 or 19. So like they're adults, but they're not, they're not married yet. So they're virgins because, you know, that's how The Two Rivers was written in 1990, whatever. Um, but... It seems clear to me that that they're all already fucking in episode one, which works for me, to be honest. Um. Okay, last thing on how the the magic system works before we move into the Age of Legends nitty gritty stuff. Um, people who are able to use the one power can see the waves. So if you're using the power, someone else can see what you're doing. Like they could see what spell you're casting basically, right? Because it takes a hot second. It's not like Harry Potter timeframes here. Um, you have to do your weave. So other people who can channel who are of the same sex can see your weave. Women can't see men weaving and vice versa. Sometimes they get like a tingly feeling where they kind of feel like maybe that person's using the power, but you don't see it. And you can also see like a glow around people who are channeling when they have embraced the source, the other, the other suggestive verb that they use here. Um, usually though, it's only when people are kind of used to using the power that you start to see this. So like our characters who will be able to use the power, I don't think that's much of a spoiler. When some of them are first learning though, they don't. It's something that they're like, oh my God, all of a sudden I can see that. That's so cool. Like, I think you've probably seen that in the beginning of book two for some of them. Let's see. And we talked a little bit about this with wilders versus people who are able to learn, right? Those who are definitely going to do it no matter what. And those who could be taught to channel if they were given the right instruction. So that's true um, for both men and women. And for those who are wilders, who are, which is just the Aes Sedai derogatory term, right? That's all that is. It's just the Aes Sedai being derogatory about people who learned not from other Aes Sedai who taught themselves. And 
a lot of wilders have what's called a talent, which is just kind of the first weave that you figure out by yourself. And often it's malicious. <laughs> it's usually like how to get people to do what you want them to do, which is not a weave that the eyes that I allow. So when people figure that out themselves, it's kind of a whole shit show. And it's like usually the first one, it's either eavesdropping or compulsion most of the time. <laughs> so let's talk about the Age of Legends for real. This is the exciting stuff. So basically, everything's going super well in the Age of Legends. Everyone's using the power, men and women, everyone's working together. Everything's great. There's a lot of science, you know, all of the things. And then curiosity just breaks the world. And Ben, how much of this did you put together from book one? I'm just really curious what it's like, that perspective. I don't really think I picked up too much on like the curiosity piece of it. It's like they talk a lot about, you know, lose there and going mad and essentially blowing everything up after uh, killing everybody essentially. But like, I, I definitely missed that. Yeah. So here's what happens. Everything's going great. Everyone's having a great time. People find like the Aes Sedai, right? Which is men and women. When we refer to them in the second age, it's, it's both men and women. And they find like a weird thing, like kind of like a, those like hot spots, like Sedona, where it's like a mystical place, right? Where like things go haywire. You know what I mean? Wait a minute. I think I actually do remember this a little bit yeah now. you're like oh wait yeah so they find like this hot spot where they're like there's some mystical bullshit going on what is this what this turns out to be is a weak spot but in the pattern right so it's not really like a physical about about the physical place there is a physical place where it's happening but it's not really about that it's about this weak spot in the metaphysics and in the pattern between reality and the dark one's prison and so everyone's like, what is that? Let's poke at it with some magic and find out. Let's see what's going on in here. Well, that's always <laughs> the smart thing to do. Totally. So they create what's called the boar by poking at this with magic, like a bunch of assholes. And basically what this does is open up a boar, a, a broken spot in the Dark One's prison. So the Dark One, who has been sealed away since all of creation, is now able to spill out a little bit into the real world. And he's not like, the Dark One is not a dude who's going to come like bursting out of a prison cell and like fuck shit up. Like this is not Sauron, for instance, or even Melkor. It really is like a metaphysical force. And like I say, we're going to get more from him than we will from the creator, but that doesn't mean he's going to be like leading battles, right? That's not what we're talking about. It's, it's like a but he, he will like talk to people though. It's like somewhere in between, right? But he's not just a dude, which I want to make clear. Um, but basically what this does is it allows evil out into the world. So like I was talking about before, there's no war, there's all of that kind of shit. Um, all that's kind of out the window at this point. Like all of a sudden people start breaking bad. Is basically what happens. <laughs> yeah, science. Yeah, science, bitch. Yeah, basically, because the people who break through the boar are these really powerful Aes Sedai who work at like a university, right? And they're like, what is this? Let's poke at it. And yeah, science, bitch. So these guys, a lot of them end up breaking bad and becoming the Forsaken, which 
I'm going to talk about a little and not too much because these guys have not shown up in the trailer. Um, and I can't wait to see what happens here. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I can't wait. It's almost time. So the Forsaken are like the boogeymen in our current age, like in the third age where our characters are growing up. It's like people talk about them like evil bedtime stories, basically. Right? Like these are like, eat your vegetables or Grendel will come and get you. Like these guys turned out to be so fucking bad, but they were all Aes Sedai. And they turned into like the first bad guys in living memory and bad just gets so much badder because of the boar. So just like evil energy is just pouring out into the world. And these guys are like standing around that evil energy, like wondering what they just did. So all told there are 13 forsaken. And what it means to be forsaken is the dark one personally was like you, 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 and the rest of you, you all work for me now. Me, 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 me. Yeah, and they said that sounds good. Like, these are people who were like, let me sell my soul to the devil. This all sounds like a great plan. I want to be a bad guy. They're a bunch of selfish assholes, right? And for example, there are 13 of them. We're not going to talk about even close to all 13 of them. I honestly hope they cut or combine some because it's an awful lot of bad guys to keep track of. But um, you have like, some of them come at it from different ways. Like, so in the prologue, Ben, the person who's with Luz Theron is a Shamael, who's one of the Forsaken. Oh, okay. Mm, right? So Ishamael is like, he's like one of the other um, Aes Sedai with Luz Theron. Right? So Luz Theron is... Another Aes Sedai, he's the most powerful Aes Sedai. He gets a third name, which is a big deal. Loose there in Telamon. When they give them a third name, it's all a whole shit show, right? It's a big deal for them. So Ishamael like fucking hated Loose Theron because he wanted to be number one. Right. And so this, I, I hope one day we get an Age of Legends prequel because it's it sounds like a fun story, right? Like they're both ostensibly like good guys the boar gets opened and Ishamael's like jealous because he's number two and he wants to be number one and he's like loose there and fuck you and turns into this like super fucking bad guy <laughs> um and so he is one of the forsaken and then you have ones like Lanfear who was loose Theron's lover before he dumped her and um got with uh Ileana who was his wife who's in the in the prologue right and she was just, again, like just love and envy, right? So it's like a lot of those like kind of seven deadly sins, right? Like people who are kind of leaning in that direction anyway, were kind of like, let me sign up with the dark one. Other ones you had are like Grendel and Semirog, who Semirog is one of my favorite Forsaken because she's just fucking twisted. But like they were doctors. Grendel was a therapist and Semirog a like a surgeon, basically. But they have access to magic and science so these guys like before the boar were like or at least people like them would have been super cool like really really good doctors um but then they turned evil and it's like really twisted it's like semi-rock is like fucked up so is grendel um so they turned like being a therapist for instance in grendel into being a master of compulsion and forcing people to like do your will I swear, I love that you go into this like great detail about how bad all of this is and how twisted it all is. And 
at the same time, you make it sound like it happens so quickly that I just comically see 13 people in my head doing the upside down Dr. Evil pinky when they're getting the bad guy pitch from the dark one. I mean, basically, like, honestly, (laughs) if the, the Forsaken are like not super competent for being really scary, like, kind of yeah like <laughs> you're not far off they're they're hilarious and terrifying and it just kind of depends on which one you're dealing with like and so they come from all different walks of life before the boar and all turned evil and were super powerful channelers and so then the world is kind of faced with a dilemma right we have like a situation there's like some really really bad shit going on now that wasn't going on before and It's like, can we all just work together to fix this? The way that, like we said, magic works best is with both men and women and both sides of the power. And it's like, no, absolutely not. We we definitely can't work together to fix this. Fuck you. And so the men want to go in and like seal this bitch up, right? They want to put like a patch on the boar and close the dark one away and end all of this, right? And the women are like, I think that's a terrible plan. I'm not going to. That is such a guy thing. Let's just throw a Band-Aid on it and call it a day. (laughs) Seriously. And the women are like, no, I'm absolutely not going to help do that. Fuck you. So because they disagree on how to handle this issue, the lack of teamwork in creating the seals, because there's there, that's what they're going to do is create a patch, right? Corrupts Sidene. There's this big, like it works. It seals the dark one in to an extent. But there's also this like kickback, like a gun. And the kickback corrupts Sidene and not Sidar because none of the women are there. And so now the male side of the source is, they call it the taint in the books. (laughs) In the show, they will be calling it the corruption um, for reasons that are obvious. Um, And so more or less this works, but it destroys Sidene. And so now we're left with this world where that first book picks up, where side like people, men who can channel are the thing that are like most feared in the world, in the common world now, because Sidene is tainted. And now any man who channels goes completely insane and really, really fucks things up. Like the men really destroy things badly here. Um, You've seen one of these at this point, um, a Quendiar seal. Wait, when was this? They they discover one at one point during the first book, and these these things pop up. So they they created seven literal physical seals made of Quendiar, which is an unbreakable material made with the pattern, and nothing can break it. And so it's sort of like they're not. Like I say, like where the boar is, like it is a physical place, but it's not like they like put these seals on the ground and they're like literally patching a hole. It's more of a medical metaphysical thing. So the seals exist and they are kind of all over the place and you can like travel with them and move them around and stuff. And it doesn't stop them being effective unless they break. Um, So there's seven of them holding this kind of like iffy patch on the dark one together. And they're all over the place. And similar to how Voldemort's plan is never quite ripe until June, usually find these around the climax of the first sort of six to ten books. (laughs) They sort of appear. And the Omerlin Sea, who rules Tarvalon and the Aes Sedai, is called, among her other names for Game of Thronesy, is the Watcher of the Seals. 
And this is what that refers to. These seven seals in the dark okay. one. Okay. All right. And now sealed up with the dark one are the forsaken by the end of the second age. And so that's why everyone says, you know, the forsaken are sealed away with the dark one. They're not real. The forsaken are just a, a boogeyman nighttime story, right? Which is true. Um, for as long as those seals hold, seals hold, they're all sealed up together in a place called Shale Ghoul, which exists on the map. And again, it's not necessarily that they are physically there. It is that is the physical place where the pattern is at its thinnest between us and the Dark One. Does that does that track? It's like a weird concept. I mean, it makes sense when you say it now, but I totally was on team it's a literal place in a book i mean and it kind of is like when when characters go to shale ghoul like they're go if they're going to see the dark one they go to shale ghoul like physically but it's you could almost think of it as like a being a portal like that is the physical place in our world where the portal I mean, is yeah i guess that, that's more sort of what i was thinking because i was hoping like throughout the book and i mean you've sort of confirmed it now that you know the, the dark one it's not necessarily a physical being like i was hoping it was just some kind of like cosmic force yeah it's not just like a dude it's not sauron i think is what i'm really trying to to nail down is it's it's this is not the lord of the rings it's this isn't mordor he's not actually there but also you would never go there because like that's how you get to him right it's just a little bit more complicated than mordor and so this is where everybody is sealed up tight after the male Aes Sedai put the patches, the seals on the boar, um, and they all are corrupted. Sidene is corrupted and anyone who channels it now and forever is corrupted. And so this is where the breaking of the world takes place. And they'll call it that, the breaking. And what they say about the breaking when they remember this is these, the quote from the book is all was shattered, all but memory lost and one memory above all others of him who brought the shadow and the breaking of the world and him they named dragon. And so this is because Luz Theron, who was like top shit, I said, I um, is the one who led all the men in there to, I mean, it ultimately worked to seal the dark one, but at a huge cost. So they name him dragon. And to be clear, something I like about the wheel of time is there is no such thing as a dragon for anyone who's like, fuck, I don't want another game of Thrones thing or more dragons and all that fantasy. There's no dragon. There is no such thing as a dragon. Dragon's actually an example of something from our time bleeding into the myths of the second age. Or of like after our time, right? Does that make sense? Okay, I'm curious. So what what is it based on then? If it's not spoilery. It's not. So it's it's based on like in the second age, nobody knows what a dragon is. Like people, when they see the like Luz Theron's um banner is the an image of the dragon, which I have in our notes, and it looks like a dragon that we would recognize in our modern day society, right? But the idea is that like that image, like nobody really knows what that is. Like in the third age, people see that and they're like, what is that? What's a dragon? Like nobody knows what it is by the third age. In the second age, it's more of like, it's, 
it's a more of a myth than it is now. Like people don't totally know what it is. They just know it kind of stands for power. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So yeah. So there's no dragons in this. No, dra- according to the wheel of time, dragons never actually existed. It's just myth over and over again into legend and into myth and into et cetera, et cetera. Right. I read the quote. Yeah. Like said, like stuff kind of feeds in from one age into the next and like, influences like what they what they see what they know exactly and so Luz Theron is not someone who's remembered very fondly because he led um the the mission to seal the boar that led to the tainting of Sidene which led to the breaking of the world because men went fucking crazy and destroyed it So using magic, men who were insane, just like literally continent shifting, cities destroyed, civilization brought to zero. This is where we get to the post-apocalyptic concept of the Wheel of Time, because where the Third Age is taking place is like, it's, it's more advanced than the middle ages it's more of sort of a renaissance-y style in a lot of it so it's not quite like game of thrones or your typical fantasy time period setting um but we're going from you know again in like this circular time concept we're going from being like peak society of magic and technology to like we got fucking nothing because men with magic destroyed the world and the only thing that is like left after that is the knowledge that men who can channel are bad That's really the takeaway. And everything else is lost, basically. GG, no rematch. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's over. But it takes a long time for this to happen, right? And people are, like, refugees. And there's... I won't go into too much of it because of spoilers. Um, Even for you. Like, there's some really cool reveals coming for you. Some of the best chapters in the whole series are coming for you on some of this stuff. But... um, So I won't go too far into it, but... It takes a long time for everything to get completely destroyed. And along the way, we have the events of the prologue, wherein Luz Theron is found having murdered his entire family and destroyed his estates um, and has, like, no memory of what the fuck happened. Like, he's just, like, calling out for his wife, Ileana, whose name he will scream over and over again every time that he's on the page. And, um he's just completely insane. And Ishamael shows up who's a forsaken and who uh, no spoilers, but he's not, he's, he has his wits about him is all I'll say. And he magics lose Theron's wits back about him because he wants to like kill him while lose Theron knows what's going on. Right. Cause he's super evil. And basically lose Theron flips out and creates Dragon Mount, this giant mountain that we'll see behind Tarvalon. To make a longish story short, he kind of like teleports out and goes ballistic and creates a mountain with the power because they're all out there destroying the continents, right? Um, And then dies, basically. And the prophecy states that he'll be reincarnated as the dragon reborn. And the, the prophecy is that Tarman Gaiden, which is Armageddon, right? It's the end of the world. Um, is coming this last battle that the dark one will escape his makeshift seals again, that loose Theron will be reborn as the dragon again, and that they will have this like battle to end all battles. Um, and it's like a total weep for your salvation situation. And the dragon's going to like 
destroy the world to save it. And so the idea that like the dragon reborn would come back is fucking terrifying because people know that means the last battle's coming. Everything's going to go to shit. We're all going to die. The world's going to be destroyed to be saved if we win. Because there's no guarantee. Because if the Dark One wins, it destroys the pattern, right? So the fact that we know the Wheel of Time turns doesn't guarantee anything, right? Yeah, pretty much lose-lose. We win, the world gets destroyed. We lose, the world definitely gets destroyed. Yeah, so nobody is stoked about this. Um, and this is what's being set up in the trailers, right? Who is the Dragon Reborn? We had this Moraine trailer. And she says in the trailer, it's one of you five, but the Emmonsfield kids. And so this is the setup. This is what our story is. Luz Theron is going to be reborn and come back and fuck everything up and destroy the world. And we don't know who it is, but Moraine's looking for them. And that's the setup of the show, right? So, which is what was, I think, set up well in the trailers. And I'm just very much excited. So did, did that all... That all makes sense. How much of this is like new information? Because that's really the crux of what we're here to get across. No, I mean, really, the the tech aspect of like the second age and that's where it all kind of started was pretty much it. But like the breaking of the world, everything with Luce and Ishmael, like that's that's all the whole prologue. So like that's literally anyone that I mean, I, I don't know. Do you think they're gonna they're actually gonna open the first episode with that, or do you think we'll just go straight into like Emmons Field and they'll like do it maybe in flashbacks here and there? Uh, it's like the question right now, right? I think it'll be in flashbacks later. Um, we're also interestingly, based on the trailer, is going to get a lot of a new spring, which is the prequel book that came out. A little more than halfway through the series, around halfway through the series, somewhere in there. Um, and that kind of explains how Moraine ends up on her quest. I'll tell you when you get there when you need to read that one. Um, but I know that's going to be in the first season a lot, too. There's a lot of these clips that are for sure from New Spring. So I'm like, I don't know. Like, I... I think they're going to show it at some point, though. Um, but it may not even be in season one when they really get to explaining Luz Theron. Because... Suffice to say, we will see a lot more about him through the series than we see in the prologue. Yeah, I just I, I have this like sneaking suspicion that they're gonna keep it either under wraps a lot or save it for like brief flashbacks to like keep the mystery of why you know why is the dragon so bad, you know, throughout yeah. the, the first season. I for sure think that. They're going to explain it because we know for sure um, from the trailers, and I won't go too much into it for spoilers, but there is the concept of a false dragon. There are people who pop up a lot to be like, I'm the dragon reborn, but also they're just like a dude who can channel. Like men who can channel still exist and they all go insane and the Aes Sedai like hunt them down and magically castrate them and remove their ability to channel oh, <laughs> this yeah. happens all the time I am excited for that part in the book you know no spoilers obviously but that's where Rand meets one of my favorite characters I'm so excited <laughs> Ben sent me a text that had me laughing my ass off about um our our Camelin cast for those who have read the book <laughs> I was absolutely dying I almost posted it on the Instagram um 
but yeah, they are they are for sure going to um, make a lot out of the mystery of who the Dragon Reborn is. Um, and I love that they're doing that. I think they're going to lean into that more in the show than the books do. So I'm here for that. And I'm excited to kind of like watch like Scott try to figure this out um, and see how they present it. So I'm I'm super excited. But another thing we see in the trailers are some of our bad guys. So let's talk about some bad guy hierarchy. Um, we see in the trailers some Trollocs and we see the Merdral, right? The with the hood and the teeth and the Trollocs are like all the like the half half man, half animal. Did you think they looked good? I'm curious what you thought about them from the trailer. Yeah, I mean they actually kind of looked exactly like I pictured. One of them had a beak. I was so excited. Like I. I think they're gonna look great. So, but I mean, they they did a good job. I was like, they just go like painstaking detail in the book to like explain that like they're a jumbled mass of like different parts, essentially, is mm -hmm. what they look like. And they are um, similar to the orcs. They do have like a backstory that the all of the evil things are created very much like Lord of the Rings, kind of same rules, right? All of these like evil mystical things don't exist from the creator. They're, they're made somehow. And the Trollocs are made by one of the forsaken during the second age. So it's like, like we went through that, like it takes place in like a week, all that shit in the second age with like people breaking bad went on for a really long time, long enough for dudes to create Trollocs and Drakkar and stuff. So there's all kinds of crazy shit happening. So we have the the hierarchy goes like this. We have the dark one, who is more powerful than everyone. He's at the top. Under him, we have the Forsaken and or the Merdral, depending on which Forsaken and which Merdral we're talking about. Um, sometimes that power dynamic changes. And the Merdral are the ones with the teeth and the hood from the trailer. And now those guys are going to be, generally speaking, more powerful than your dark friends who are forsaken have to be like anointed by the dark one as a forsaken. Dark ones are, uh, sorry, dark friends are like people who have not been anointed forsaken, but they are like bad guys. Um, usually spies. They're pretty much everywhere. I can't believe I'm got through what 700 pages of the book thinking it was dark fiend the whole time <laughs> until I saw your notes and I was like, did you spell that wrong? And I went and checked the book and I'm like, no, I've been reading it wrong this whole time. This is so funny. Honestly, I died. <laughs> Just like with, uh, the first Harry Potter book. I did not, I don't know, maybe I'm a little dyslexic or something, but I never. I, I didn't, it wasn't until the first Harry Potter movie that I knew her name was Hermione. I kept reading oh, it as yeah. Hermione. A lot of people did that with her name because they'd never heard Hermione. Um, another really good one is Aaron Damp Hair in Game of Thrones. But his damp hair is, is one word. So a lot of people thought it was damn fear before the show. <laughs> like P-H. But it's damp hair because he's always in the ocean. <laughs> goodness I, I seriously i can't believe i read it wrong the whole time <laughs> that's so funny um and then dark so dark friends are more powerful than or as powerful as trollocs and drakkar kind of again depending like usually 
It it really depends. Um, because the Trollocs are always controlled by Murdral. So that might put like there are some dark friends who will for sure end up like lowest on the totem pole. It just kind of depends on the situation. Um, but the really important thing to know is that there are dark friends in every nationality and group. And the shadow spawn are basically found by the blight and the borderlands. So that's why we'll see a lot of that stuff happening up in the north. Um, those guys are like aware, like people, a lot of people like don't believe that Trollocs exist, right? It's like a myth, but in the borderlands, it's totally not a myth. Yeah, and I mean, it's a nice dynamic to that. Um, like, yeah, when you start out in Emmons Field, like no one really believes that it's a thing. And then you get closer to it and everyone's like, oh, yep, we're just, we're marching off to fight them. Yeah, like, oh, I was just kidding. This exists. Like, so it's super different cultures. Jordan does a good job of building out, like, people's experiences are really different. Some people know this stuff exists. Some people don't. But they're not around like they used to be right after the breaking of the world where everything went to absolute fuck. There were the Trolloc Wars. Um, kind of the only like so it was that was kind of ridiculous. We're Trollocs like everywhere. Right. But eventually we won that. You get a Trolloc. You get a Trolloc. Everyone gets a Trolloc. <laughs> Seriously. Like it was everything that was left over after the Dark One was sealed away. They had a big war with right after the like start of the Third Age end of the Second Age. Um, the only kind of key thing to know during this time is that while all of the Forsaken were sealed away, Ishamael was like on the metaphysical edge of the seals. So like every so many thousands of years, Ishamael's like spun out by the pattern into reality by the Wheel of Time, right? And so the Trolloc Wars are one of the times where Ishamael was spun back out and then he like gets sucked back in. He's on this like cyclical thing with the wheel as well. And so he every now and then there's like one Forsaken that is out. So it's like not even that he dies. He just literally gets sucked back in then. Basically. Like he's, yeah, basically. <laughs> Imagine him like sitting there gloating over somebody and all of a sudden gets sucked off into oblivion. <laughs> I think I that's kind of how I imagine it. I might be wrong, but basically he's he's sort of out and about occasionally. So that's what like when in history, when like some fucked up thing happens, it's it's usually because the Shamayal got spun back out. And otherwise people are like basically good. But like, <laughs> it's just shit comes out of shale ghoul and things go wrong for a couple hundred years and he gets sucked back or however long he's out for. I don't know. But um, so, yeah, basically, history marches on with all these bad guys occasionally coming out, right? The Trollocs are around, Ishamael's around, um, Arthur Haw Hawkwing is a thing, which is very much a King Arthur thing. There's a lot of Arthurian stuff in the Wheel of Time. He's a king who unites all the kingdoms for a little while. He sends a whole bunch of people west. Um, and then basically dies and causes a hundred years war of succession. So there's just continued, like, you can tell that the Dark One might be sealed away, but, like, things still aren't great. Like, every now and again, like, there's still a bunch of bullshit. It's not like it was in the First and Second Age or the Second Age. Um, and then the the thing that happens most recently, and we're going to move pretty quick through it, but it is going to be in the show based on the trailer, the war, the Aiel War is what happens most recently. And the Aiel are 
basically the Fremen from Dune. Um, they're fucking awesome. I can't wait to see the Aiel. And in the Aiel War, like, they just have a super, super specific understanding of honor, I guess, um, is how I'll describe it for now. And the people of a neighboring city who are in the Westlands, which is what it's called, and the Aiel live in the Waste, which is the desert east of the mountains. I'm sure the show will show us a map. Um, basically, the, the dudes from Karien, the Western city, did a really stupid thing and it really, really dishonored. Like the IEL were super pissed. It was like not polite. Um, and they started a huge war and it was like the IEL war ended because the IEL like met their, like they felt like the Karyanid had met their toe, like, which means they're what they owed back. Right. To like make good. Um, I just love this concept of this, group of badass warriors like well we feel like you, you're we're done we're going you home. learned your lesson yeah we're 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 packing up and going home basically like they are really not to be fucked with um and we see them briefly we see the blood snow in the trailer and i'm like oh my god they're so fucking cool um they're super important we're gonna see a lot of them and there was a huge war where they can, and like all of the westlands had to fight against the aiel to in this war and could not win like they they are badasses so suffice to say bad guys whether truly evil or not bad stuff continues to happen um through after the breaking right and the Aes Sedai meanwhile are now a no boys allowed club so men who can channel are like super not allowed um they build Tar Valen and the White Tower which is a city shaped like a vagina and the White Tower is in the place of the Claris. I shit you not. Look it up. <laughs> and it is where the women practice magic. <laughs> and it looks like that in the show because we can see it in the trailer. And it's incredible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it really that? does. Right? One million percent that's what's happening. It has like rivers around it, right? It's like an island in the shape of a vagina. And um, it's inside of Dragon Mount, which is the mountain that Luce Theron created when he went ballistic and died. And uh, basically... Uh, we basically have a giant dick next to a giant vagina. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and they need to work together, right, to balance the powers and save the world. That's really the lessons. <laughs> um. And it's amazing. And I hope most of this sexual innuendo makes it into the show. I really do. So the Aes Sedai, they are still called Aes Sedai. That symbol is found, the yin-yang symbol. It's found in ancient stuff, but it's you don't see it everywhere. And um, they're really, they like subtly run the world, right? Like they're they're trying to be an institution of power and... They do their best. They're they're maybe not the most popular ever, but they're definitely the most feared. And they move up through phases. So you come in as a novice, you have to pass a test to become an accepted, and then you get some more freedom in what you're doing and what you're learning. You pass another test and you become a full sister, an Aes Sedai. And when you become an Aes Sedai, you swear three oaths. And we see um, like a truncated version of them in the trailer. Um, so they're not allowed to lie. They can't make weapons out of the power. 
Um, and they can't use it as a weapon except against dark friends and shadow spawn and in the last extreme defense of her life and the life of her warder or another Aes Sedai. Um, warders are men who are magically bonded to Aes Sedai. Um, and we're going to see a lot of it. I won't spend any time on that. We're going to see a shitload of that in the show because... Oh, I can't wait. Land is just perfect. This is just perfect. Uh, can't wait for my boy Land to start <laughs> putting sheep herders in the so place. Great. I know, right? <laughs> Doing some sword forms. <laughs> um, so the thing that I like about the Aes Sedai is that they are very much like the Jedi. I'm like, really excited to like make those comparisons in that like they also are like have really stringent rules that like don't don't totally make sense, right? Um, and and because of that, they have dwindling numbers. And so there's a really interesting thing happening here where they are super powerful and not to be fucked with, and definitely to be respected, and all the things. Um, and they run this whole vagina shaped city, and it's great. But they also have a lot of flaws. Like they're a really interesting organization, um, and. I will point out that like there by the laws of biology and, and the pattern, there are potential channelers in every nationality and group. And the heist that I are over here, like, well, we only have like three sea folk channelers, but like the sea folk just probably don't really channel. Like there's probably just not that many of them that are channelers. And I'm like, yeah, I bet. <laughs> like, so there's a lot of interesting stuff to explore here with like how pompous they are. And how I'm going to be severely disappointed in the show now if there's not a nice to die at one point saying it just like that with the same Valley Girl accent. <laughs> like, um, who wouldn't want to join us? Totally. They just start just not be any Seafolk channelers. Like, to yeah, they it's hilarious. Um, and there's notably, there's like no Aiel, right, in the Aes Sedai. Um, and so there's just a lot of a lot of interesting blanks to fill in that like obviously do get filled in. And it's it's just really they're an interesting organization because they are really awesome. And um, there's also a lot of room for improvement. And they're they're very they have lost so much after the Age of Legends like it was the apocalypse so they don't know how to do some stuff there are weaves that they know existed that they don't know how to do we see loose there and teleport in the first scene fucking nobody knows how to do that and jacking around with the power is really really dangerous and people die trying to figure this shit out all the time you can use too much of the power and burn out the ability to use it anymore which nobody's willing to do um you can just kill yourself or everybody around you. Like it's super dangerous and they don't know that much about it anymore. So they're doing their best, but it is kind of a blind leading the blind, but like super pompously. Um, I mean, I'm looking fabulous while doing it. Oh, well, bet. <laughs> You're going to be looking so good. They, uh, stuff that they have, um, so they have weaves. Weaving is just like using the pattern, which is most of what we've been talking about, right? Using the power. But they also have angrial, which are objects that when you channel through them, increase your ability um, and make you more powerful. You can have saw angrial, which are like, do that, but a lot. 
So it's like two grades of how much you can do that. So you can become like significantly more powerful than you were by using an Angreal or a Saw Angreal. And then you can use a, a Tear Angreal, which have you seen any of these yet? No, but the word's familiar. So I think they like might have briefly talked yeah. about it. Moraine has an Angreal, which we see in the trailer. Um, which is cool. So she has that little, it's that she wraps it up in one of the teasers, but the, the Terangriol are objects that do a specific thing. They're kind of like apps with the power. Um, and so you can have ones that like hold a certain amount of power so that if you went somewhere where the power is not able to be used, you could pull it out and you would have some with you. Um, there's the Oath Rod as a Terangriol. Like, there's basically, like, magic wands, shields. You can use them for pain. They're record holders. There's, like, all kinds of stuff that they can do. Um, and then we've got the Aja rundown after this. And this is one of the things that um, I don't feel like this is made clear in the first book at all. Right? Like what all the Ajas are? I don't even talk about all the Ajas at all. Like they, I think they talk about like the red a bit, obviously. Yeah. The blue, obviously Moraine's one. Yeah. And I think like that's really it. Like a lot of like the ice that I talk otherwise in the first book, it's mostly just they're just the women that run everything, but at the same time, everyone hates them because they think they're ruining stuff too. Yeah, exactly. And they, they take their sweet time in revealing all the Aja colors in the books. And it had me so confused for a long time. I thought there was only blue and red. I was really confused, but we know for sure in the show, they're going to show them all um, because we've seen the shots in the trailer of Tarvalon. Yeah. We've seen the shot of Tarvalon. We've seen, wasn't it a yellow one? getting burned at the stake I by know. the children of light. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we saw like, there's been a bunch of shots of like, we see Alana who's one of the greens. We see a lot. We see Leandrin who's a red. So the brief rundown on this, basically what happens is when you pass all your tests and you become Aes Sedai, you choose and then have to be accepted into an Aja. And it's basically your Hogwarts house, but there's seven of them. And it kind of just determines like what you're going to do out in the world as an Aes Sedai, as a protector of all, right? So the blues are like political. They go in for causes. So they're like out there in the world, like, you know, papering the town and doing shit. Um, they're working for a purpose, for a specific cause, and they get super dedicated to that cause. The red Aja are dedicated to, ostensibly it's like managing rogue channelers, but really they're out there like murdering dudes. Because um, when you take away someone's ability to channel, which is what they do when they find a man who can channel immediately, um, that person will ultimately basically either die of depression or kill themselves, which is ultimately the same thing, right? Like, they, you do not survive long if you're separated from your ability to channel. I swear you just you have my mind in the gutter with all of this. It's all... All of the Wheel of Time is secretly dirty for being like really PG on the surface. I mean, who wouldn't want to off themselves if they couldn't have sex anymore, essentially? I mean, basically, right? But you can always, it's the way they describe it is like you can still see the source, you just can't touch it. 
So it's just like edging forever. Like it's just, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, so the also to, speaking of sex, so the green Aja, the green are the the battle Aja. So they say they stand ready for Tarman Gaiden. They stand ready to fight. They show up in the Trolloc Wars. They like, you got a Trolloc, Green Aja will show up. But what they're better known for is having multiple warders. So they're they're all like bonding multiple men to them. And they're kind of known for fucking our warders a little bit is the stereotype about the Greens. Um, whether that always turns out to be true or not is like another conversation. There's a lot of gray area in all of this, but that's the stereotype in the Green Aja. Um, I mean, if you got the harem, why not? <laughs> I mean, there are characters who are just like, I can't even, <laughs> I'm not even, I can't, I'm not even going to do it. Um, I love the green nausea. I really do. I shout out to all my greens. Um, then we have the Browns. The Browns are all for learning and reading. They're all like all up in their own head all the time. Um, Varen, who is one of my favorite Aes Sedai is a brown Aja. She's going to be so awesome. Um, the yellow is for healing. So these, these guys are doctors. Um, the white Aja is logic. And they don't do very much. They're around. They're kind of cool, though. I like the white Aja. They just they hang out in the tower a lot. Um, they at least tell anyone to live long and prosper. <laughs> I don't do not believe that they hold on to that from their myths. That's what I think they miss. But that would very much, like, for sure the Vulcans would be white Aja. Um, the gray are diplomacy. So often, but not always, you'll find a gray Aja, like, handling, you know, political issues between rulers or serving with a ruler, um, doing negotiations, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes they suck at it. Just kind of a hilarious moment in, like, I think book seven. And they get called out. It's like, you're great, Aja, just figure it out. <laughs> um, and then uh, the leader of them is the Watcher of the Seals, as we talked about, the Flame of Tarvalin, the Amarlin Seat. And she is the leader. She is voted in um, by the Hall, which is like the, the Senate, basically. Um, she's of all Ajas and none. She wears like a rainbow striped stole, which looks very cool in the show. We see... Swan Sanche, who's the Amarlin seat. Oh, and she's so cool. So that's basically the Aes Sedai. Any final thoughts and questions on them? Oh, I think that was like a pretty good rundown on it. Um, What's your Blue. Aja? Team Blue. <laughs> Team Blue. I, as our listeners know, um, for a time was identifying strongly as a red. I had to make a transition to red Aja. Um, however, I'm feeling better. So <laughs> I'm now I'm now back to my sort of brownish blue. I kind of go back and forth. And during during election years, I'm generally a blue. <laughs> then go back to my, my oh, brown God. natures. <laughs> during 2020, I was definitely blue Aja. <laughs> um all right. Do we have time for this last quick section? Let's do it. It's my favorite. You know, it's, it's it was my favorite part of the book. <laughs> All right. So you tell me a little bit about this. So as Lindsay has graciously named it in our notes here, we're going to talk about the fast travel. 
in the Wheel of Time series. <clears throat> the ways, probably the most nail-biting section of the book for me. So I cannot wait to see how much, like how how this plays out in in the show. Like I am, I'm excited. I'm stoked. I, I'm as soon as we saw like the the gate in in the trailer, I was like. I think I was like tech messaging you too. I was like, "Oh yeah, gate, gate, gate! I see a gate!" Ah, <laughs> I, I, I'm so excited. So this is the giant arches in the middle of nowhere for everyone who's seen the trailer, and they're so cool. And I, I wanted to make sure we talked about this because so many people who who I believe are wrong, but I also like respect and understand their opinions. So many people say that fantasy stuff has too much walking. Um. And I want everyone to just please look forward to a multitude of increasingly straightforward, but also dangerous fast travel options in the Wheel of Time. Um, nobody's walking after like the middle of book one, basically. And so the the ways are one of the first ways that we see this happen. And I don't want to spoil them, but know that that's kind of what those arches are and that this exists and that they were made by the Ogier. So glory to the builders. And these guys are like the only non-human non-trollic which we already talked about are like made right like species in the wheel of time and what did you make of this uh like what as far as like the the ogier just like that there is this other like race but it's not like tolkien like the wheel of time is not like elves and dwarves and it's just people and trollocs and also ogier randomly right I mean, they talk. They sort of like talk about them a little bit. I think with was it the did they talk about them with the travelers at all? I forget. But like, I thought they were brought up, and then like when we meet loyal, it's kind of like oh, they do. It's like the uh, the exist. What it is like the 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 M and M's commercial with Santa. It's like they do exist. Yes. They, yeah, so they're Ogier, another thing that for a lot of people are myth, and they live in their, their homes are called the Steading, and they can't really leave the Steading for too long. They're not usually seen outside of the Steading, so a lot of people don't even believe in them, and they did create the ways, um, and they actually created the ways with, with male Aes Sedai, who came to the Steading following the breaking of the world to stave off the madness. And the reason they did that was that in the Steading, you cannot channel. The source is not accept, uh, accessible to anyone in a Steading. And so the men would go there to try and avoid insanity in the early part of the breaking. Um, and they helped the Ogier create the ways. And again, I don't want to spoil like exactly how they work, but, but they exist and that's how they were made, which I think is really cool that it, that that's like how they came about, that it was all following the breaking and that in the setting, you can't use the power. And the reason I believe, and this is not a spoiler because you get to like dig deep to pick this up. This is not like a plot point, but the Ogier are from another part of the multiverse within the pattern. They're not from here. And they have this really now. <laughs> yeah. Right. And they have this thing called the book of translation, but it's that the Ogier are like, all right, well, if shit gets real enough, then at some point we have to use the book of translation to leave. And then eventually in the pattern, we'll, we'll come back again. Right. 
And it's like, yo, what? Excuse me? <laughs> like, it's... All right, you have things up. We're piecing out. <laughs> yeah, we're just going to go. So the reason that you can't use the one power in the steading is that the steading is another, like the steading is part of their multiverse. It's like they teleported their whole little neighborhood in. That's actually ridiculously cool. <laughs> right? I love it. And so that's, that's why the Ogier are the only other like species, right? But it's, it's all very kind of sci-fi. And when you kind of blend that with everything going on in the second age and the age of legends and all the technology and like this whole thing is, it is like post-apocalyptic sci-fi that like, because of the apocalypse turns into like fantasy because now we have to use like swords again. <laughs> That's actually really cool. Like, I just assumed it was, like, a dead zone or something just because, but there's actually a reason behind it is that's, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> I know, right? I love it. And I I can't wait to see Loyal and just everything about him. Like, the Ogier are super, super cool. And one of them is, is going to um, be part of our main-ish cast. So I, I can't wait. Um other like fast travel does just continue to exist so just from a world building perspective there are there are other ways to do this um and without without being spoilery there are portals that will take you kind of local and multiversal um but no one really knows how to use them or what they look like they're just kind of around whoopsie and whoopsie. yeah big whoopsies multiple big whoopsies in our future <laughs> like and and also like on purpose but whoopsie like they're really dangerous it's not and the ways also are super dangerous so um it's it's not safe like fast travel is a thing that's going to continue to exist but it is never just like click your fingers and it's fine um, there's always a risk and it's always an adventure. And that's what I really like about it. There's a million ways to do it, but um, it can be sketchy in many ways. Like there's the, the last thing is lost weaves, which we talk about with loose there in a little bit, right? Like there's a lot that people don't know how to do with the one power. And if you don't know how to do it, like a lot of people get themselves killed trying to rediscover old weaves or figure out how to do something new. It's like people don't understand how the power works well enough to create a new spell basically um and so it's just super dangerous but there are lots of ways with the power to do it much more easily um but nobody knows how they know that it used to exist but no one knows how to actually do it and so you know trust me that nobody's walking anywhere for anyone who's hesitant about watching the show because people might be walking around in those beautiful vistas trust me that we'll be getting there relatively quickly very soon but with lots of lots of risk i can't wait oh my gosh why can't it be next week already i i honestly i have to work friday and i'm like not okay <laughs> like, i know i am like torn because I saw on my work calendar that our like team's happy hour is next week, and I'm like, do I really want to go? Do on I really? Friday? Yeah. Oh my god! I okay. Well, good to know because I won't be. I'm. I am gonna be turning my phone off like starting Friday morning and just 
until I've seen it all, but we're going to have an absolutely incredible watch party um, at my place and I can't wait. And Scott and I are, and you Ben, right? You're going to hop on with us on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Oh my God. I can't wait. No, we're going to go like all day guys. We're going to record like relatively early as soon as we kind of can. Um, once we've taken care of any life stuff on Saturday and uh, have I don't know how many episodes. I don't know if it'll be two long episodes, if we'll do one for each episode of the show. I don't know, but I know that it'll be full spoilers. We will do episodes. Three. Yeah, I just don't know if we're going to need three to do. I don't know, because we'll be able to talk about all of them at once a little bit, right? Like, I want to be able to do it, like, having seen all three, not just trying to talk about yeah, one at a time. I mean, it's, I guess it, it's going to depend on what is in the three episodes, really, is how long it'll take us to talk about I know. it all. Oh my god i just can't believe we're gonna see this i i'm so so excited for this show it looks like it's gonna be great and i the wheel of time community is incredible and i just can't wait to see what everybody comes out with in the following week and it's it's just such a fun community to be part of and i can't wait to add you know millions of more people to it i hope i really hope people like the show i think if there's anything i want to say about like the fandom at large it's that you know, minus some haters in YouTube comments, which we can all ignore forever. Um, it's really like the most welcoming fan community ever. Like all we want is for new people to experience this story with us. And they're just, I just can't wait. I can't wait to be able to share this with all my friends who don't know it. And Ben, I'm so glad that you read it. And I'm just, I'm ready. Judy, any closing thoughts other than just like pure hype? Give it to me now. <laughs> no. no, like you said, I am I'm stoked for it. And I mean, I know it took me a while with life constantly getting in the way, but I'm glad I got through the first book, at least, because I am a big believer in at least, you know, trying to read it first. Uh, just so I, 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 I tend if I watch something before I read it, I tend to like have that like influence my opinion more. Like it makes me think mm -hmm. this is what the characters should look like, yada, 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 and so on. And I like to be able to at least tell the difference, like, you know, spot the differences between like what they might've changed versus what the author's original intention was. Yeah. And I think, I think this is going to be, really fascinating because I think there's so much um, like a lot of the stuff that we talked about tonight that isn't in that first book, but is just baseline. Like this is how the ice tie work. Moraine's like your main character and we don't know this in book one. It's wild. So I think there's a lot that um, that will still kind of surprise you from just having read the first book. I think they're going to interweave a lot because first book feels very Tolkien it's supposed to and then things change up so much and I, I really suspect this is going to be super different from the eye of the world and I'm really excited about it like I it's it's another turning of the wheel right however they however they do it whatever changes there are I it's like the, the perfect story for it to make sense right it's just another turning of the wheel yeah well I mean like you said too I would be super interested in seeing a prequel too you know just oh, yeah. from the point of view that <clears throat> you know like most prequels like 
every like time like in a lot of fantasy even or you know sci-fi what have you time you know it's straight it's linear and when you have prequels like you know tech ages backwards so i think it would be uh, right. like unique and interesting to see like a prequel but everything is like super advanced i there are rumors of an age of legends movie but like by a different studio like it's a whole like is this a real thing and then i don't know it was like there was a weird leak or announcement or so it was in the news like a few months ago and then i haven't heard anyone talk about it in a while and i haven't looked at it um and i don't know if that's real or what it would mean and i would really rather have like the amazon team do it and, and keep it all in continuity um but i would love for them to do an age of legends story properly because yeah, it's right. it's pretty fucking crazy <laughs> And that's I'm I'm holding a lot back about the Age of Legends for spoiler reasons, like for for you and for our listeners of of some of the other things that happen immediately after the breaking that like really matter to the plot more. Um, whereas the rest of it, I think, is just sort of background world building color. But there's some wild shit that we will see some of it in flashbacks in like I predict season two or three. I don't know. But it's, it'll be sick. Well, seven more days, folks. Yep. So everyone, do your best to survive these seven days. I know I will be thinking of nothing but the Wheel of Time. And it's been really fun talking about this with you, Ben. Um, for everybody, uh, stay tuned. We're going to do Raiders on Sunday. And then uh, we'll be back for the Wheel of Time on Saturday next week. So you can tell that's where, where my focus is. The Flash, the Flash season eight does premiere next week, so that is also a thing. I'm throwing it out there. It's like this will be this the Flash reference Scott never hears, <laughs> but there it is. The Flash is premiering, but mostly um, keep an Wait, eye on that's us. Still on? Yeah, dude, season eight is coming. It's gonna be hot dumpster fire. I can't wait for the five part crossover episode with like Mia, fucking what's her name and everything, Mia Queen. Oh my goodness. Mia Smoke, Mia Queen. I don't fucking know. Baby Green Arrow. It's going to be great. <laughs> Baby Green Arrow. Basically. But uh, but watch out for us for all this Wheel of Time stuff coming, guys. That's definitely what I'm most excited about this coming month. We will be sticking with all of our regularly scheduled timeline stuff along with the Wheel of Time. So send us feedback at gobehindthetimeline at gmail.com. We definitely want to know what you guys think. If I got anything wrong here, I'm sure I did. Please let me know. Um, follow us on Instagram at go behind the timeline. We have a ton of wheel of time stuff there and we'll continue to check us out on Twitter at behind timeline and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It definitely helps us out. You guys can get us wherever you can rate us on Apple podcasts and just so excited to be doing wheel of time stuff. Woo so we will uh, see you guys uh, next week. Bye. <laughs> Until then stay nerdy guys.